Hey, the word for the morning is uh, success. All right, say that with me. Success. When I was in high school, I'm not, I can't, I'm not sure why I remember this. I remember weird things like this. There was a cheer for our high school that cheerleaders would lead that would say, S-U-C-C-E-S-S. That's the way we, sp- that's the way we spell success. And I thought, this is a really insightful cheer. I guess we know how to spell. Can't shoot the ball. Can't run the ball, but we can spell success, you know? Did anybody, anybody hear that cheer before? S-U-C-C-E-S. Anybody was a cheerleader that led that cheer? Okay, S-U-C-C-E-S-S. That's the way we spell success. It was like, ah, woo, yeah. Okay, anyway. Uh, but success, you know, how, how one defines success, I mean, I just, I grabbed the morning paper, and I thought, you know, you can tell how our culture defines success simply by what we see in the paper. You got the sports section. These are the successful ones. You know, the IU football recruit that's coming next year, or, you know, IU basketball, you know, all that. You know, successful people get in the sports section. You won't see, you know, somebody in the sports section who beat their kid in ping pong last night. Our culture doesn't say that's successful, all right? Then you have the attraction section, has all the bands, you know, concerts you can go to. You can go hear successful people play and they will entertain you, all right? They don't put, you know, I know you might be able to play the guitar in your basement, but they don't put you in here if you're not successful. And then you got the nation and world section, but there's a business in here and they have all the stocks and all the six things that if you want to be successful, you need to know these things. You need to watch your stock and your investments and things like that. And then, you know, successful people shop at Best Buy because if you're a success in life, you've got money to buy the latest, you know, whatever gaming system or DVD player or actually DVD is kind of outdated. But Blu-ray, sorry, Blu-ray. And then the successful person will shop and uh, wear gear bought at Dick's. So if you want to look like, you know, the, the pro athletes do. And success is something that I think a lot of us as Christians often are, myself included, conflicted about. Because this is what we're told that success is. You know, money, fame, power, athletic prowess. And because success, when I looked up success, actually I didn't look it up in the dictionary, I used dictionary.com. That, you know, it's interesting how the paper dictionary is, for some of us, is becoming irrelevant. And I actually know how to find this on the internet. Success, the, the, the definition, it said fame and achievement. Because we tend to be driven by fame and achievement, maybe not in, in unhealthy ways. But, but I want to kind of shift a little bit because what we're going to look at today is Jesus redefining success in a really upside-down kind of way. He really redefined it in an upside-down kind of way. And perhaps one of our greatest challenges for those of us who are followers of Jesus is how do we redefine success? Because your definition of success will dictate the target which, which you will move forward in life. So if your definition of success is driven by money, fame, and, and notoriety, you will make decisions about how you spend your hours and minutes and dollars that will gear you toward hitting that bullseye target of success. However, if you define success in a radically different way, you will redefine Success, and you will spend your minutes, hours, and dollars differently. All right, I want to share just just in, in, in example a couple success stories from some of us. All right, and in doing so, I want to begin to redefine success. And we're going to look at some of the, the passages. Uh, look at the, one of the stories from the passage we're going to look at today. But let me just—I'm going to read two different emails I got this week that I'm going to call success stories. All right, you weren't, you weren't gonna, they weren't in the paper, they weren't in the front page, nobody gave them a blue ribbon. 
but they're success stories. All right, here's success story number one. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, just in, in, in uh, context, I talked about how the fact that Satan always likes to tempt us, and he likes to prompt us to believe things that aren't true. Okay, so knowing that, here's the email I got Monday. Uh, I wanted to say thanks for the teaching yesterday. I found it provoking and encouraging at the same time, and I'm looking forward to learning more from the Gospel of John. Today I came to a low point in what has been a frustrating personal situation. Nothing serious, just learning about being a mom stuff. And I found myself saying out loud to myself, I'm such an idiot. Frustrating mom. And then I just had to laugh. Thinking of what you said yesterday in your sermon, and I told myself, no, that's a lie. Calm down. What's the true perspective here? So the encouraging words from the sermon were timely and helped me steer away from the lie that I'm a bad mom and I don't know what I'm doing. All right? That's a success story. In a moment of frustration, ah, stupid, I'm an idiot, I'm a stupid mom, I'm a stupid dad, I'm a stupid husband, whatever it is. In that moment, the Spirit of God interrupted her and said, no, you're not. That's a lie. Because that's not what God calls you. All right? That's success. That is a success story that all of us, myself included, should be like, I want to have stories like that. Story number two. This is an email I got this week, too. While walking down the sidewalk to church, this was last Sunday morning, I passed a man sitting on the curb working his laptop. I got all the way to the front door and sensed a little voice telling me to go back and say something to him. All right, that's kind of internal prompting. What? Why? That was his internal reaction, kind of having this little fight with God. So I walked back down the block and said, right outside here, excuse me, I know this might sound a little strange, but I just felt a prompting to come down here and tell you that Jesus loves you. He smiled and said, that's cool. I walked back to church. Go figure. Did he need to hear that, or was that just a test for me? You don't know, and I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I knew I'd have no peace if I didn't do it, though. Hey, success story. Somebody felt a prompting from God to tell another human being last Sunday morning, hey, it really feels weird, but Jesus loves you. Stretching, awkward, you feel stupid. Hey, success story. I'll take, that, I'll take that kind of success over anything the rest of the world wants to tell me is successful. Uh, last success story. Uh, where's Brian? Brian Arnold? Um, Brian, I got this on, uh, was it a text? Or a yeah, Twitter, or I don't know, maybe I saw it somewhere. But why don't you tell us what happened with your son Chase this last week? Yeah, um, and this was Kristen's idea, so I thank her for that. Uh, we received an invitation to attend a church camp. Uh, Kristen and I were asked to be a counselor. It's for Samantha's age group, and uh, so it would be third to the sixth grade. Um, but because Kristen and I went as counselors, Chase and Ava were able to go as junior campers. So... Um, we basically it was it was a it was a long week and for me it was a, an emotional roller coaster, um, you know because I was I had to give up my vacation time so there were there were great mo- moments and then and that's a success story right there <laughs> yeah but I, I struggled with it so you know there were there were moments I cherished but then I was also you know sort of slow times throughout the day because were the cabins air conditioned no they oh were, wow <laughs> no. but um you know the the, the camps built to a crescendo at the end and um you know the the lessons started out as simple um and you know grew more intense and um they did have an altar call of sorts at the very end of camp thursday evening and it was ending on friday 
So there were some campers that came up and um, decided they wanted to follow Jesus. Um, and they were making plans for a baptism at the end of the day Friday in the, in the swimming pool there at Hilltop Christian Camp. And uh, we were preparing for that because we were counselors. And um, right before it happened, Chase came up to... This is Kristen. Chase back Chase. here. <laughs> yeah. Um, he came up to Kristen and he said, I want to get baptized. So she called me over and it's sort of unprecedented. You know, I've never been in this situation before. And she said, what do you think? And I just turned to him and I said, well, you know, what does baptism mean to you? And he just, he just responded with, to follow Jesus. And I looked at her and it was pretty clear. And we called a, a pastor over just to talk to him. And, and he reminded us of when Jesus said, let the little ones come to me. And we really didn't need to talk about it anymore. So it all happened pretty quickly. But um, he decided to give his life to Christ at that moment and get baptized. And you baptized him there in the I swimming did. pool there? Exactly. So success story. Woohoo! <laughs> And you won't, you won't see that in the newspaper. You won't see that in the paper. But there are, our weeks are full of moments where there's all kinds of potential for an upside-down success. All right? This, uh, what we're looking at last week and the next few weeks and maybe the next few months, I don't know, I never, I never know how long I'm going to talk, so neither do you. So, um, is Jesus, John 13 to 17 is five chapters that all describe the Thursday night of Jesus' betrayal. Last Supper, his betrayal, uh, you know, uh, praying in Gethsemane. And he's, it's his last words to his disciples before his resurrection, and he's redefining success in some pretty radical ways. But we're going to look at an event today that redefines success like no other, and he really flips over what is notoriety and what is fame and achievement and success all about. So here we go, John chapter 13. Go to the next slide here. Okay, so it's before the Passover celebration, so it's the night, again, of his betrayal, Passover dinner. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father, and he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So if you remember, next slide, last week we highlighted this phrase. Every week we're going to highlight a phrase. Last week the highlight was this phrase. The devil had prompted Judas to believe something that wasn't true about reality, and he didn't act on that, and in doing so, betrayed Jesus. And we talked about you have an enemy, and that's where the email came from I read earlier, is that Satan loves to prompt us and suggest us and throw lies into our head that are not accurate corresponding to reality, and we act on that and make our lives worse and not better, all right? All right, next slide. Sorry, he was going on. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything and that he'd come from God and return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. All right, now stop here for a second. This was the Passover meal. So think about like Thanksgiving meal, Christmas meal, Easter meal. It was a religious observance. It was a meal where there was prescribed ways in which you do things. You do this first, and you do this. And it starts off with a cup, and the, the leader of the meal, which in this case was Jesus, would have said, Blessed art thou, our Lord, you know, maker of heaven and earth. Hold the cup up high. And it's this whole kind of, uh, kind of red, this ritual of how they do things. The second part of the ritual, or one of the second parts of the ritual, was the head person. So this would have been Jesus, and there would have been the 12 disciples sitting around a table. Actually, they kind of they reclined at the table. They didn't have chairs. They had like a low table, and they kind of leaned on their left arm and ate with their right hand. I, uh, you know, I would have had back problems if I lived in that day, but I'm glad I didn't. So, 
Anyway, so Jesus, and then the next thing was the head of the table was supposed to get up and wash his hands, kind of symbolizing for all of us the cleansing of what God does in our life. So Jesus does the cup thing, and then he gets there ready to wash his hands. The disciples are like, okay, he's going through the ritual. He's following script. Good. But then Jesus starts doing it. He starts taking off his outer robe and putting a towel on. He's going off script. He's taken way off the script there. He takes the basin and the water of the towel that were meant for him to wash his hands in a ceremonial way to, you know, observance over all of them. And then he, you know, he, he kind of changes his clothes so he looks like a servant. And then he takes the basin of the towel and he starts walking toward the disciples and getting down on the floor. And they're blown away. They don't know what's going on because this is not what the script says to do. Jesus is messing up the Passover script. And not only is he blowing him away because he's messing up script, but he's messing up script by doing something that Jewish people don't do. You don't wash people's feet. See, in those days when they had sandals and they walked in dusty, dirty roads, hospitality would say that you have someone wash the feet of those who come into your house for a party or a dinner. But that was always and only done by slaves. Even if... You, even if a Jewish person was a slave in a household, they did not have to wash feet. It was considered so low. So only if it was a foreign slave or a foreign servant, because even a, even a Jewish slave had rights. They, weren't, they didn't have to wash feet. Come on. So the only people that washed feet were the lowest people on the social totem pole, servant slaves. So when Jesus does that, and here's the picture that comes from the servant lead side. Anybody know the artist of this picture? Ford Maddox Brown, 1850. I'm sure nobody knew that. I looked up the internet. That's what you have the internet for, all right? Ford Maddox Brown, 1850-ish, all right? So what Jesus is doing here is unprecedented. Not only did he go off script of the Passover meal, but he's, he's doing something that it's kind of reserved for these people. And so the disciples are way confused. They're way blown away. And again... This is the night of the, Sabbath, or of the Passover celebration, and this is one of the primary things he does to set them up for the, redefining what success is. And he redefines success in, a, in, a, in an action that he could not have said by anything, by just words alone. Um, just look at the picture for a second. I, you know, who knows that Ford Maddox Brown obviously wasn't there when it happened. But it's kind of interesting to look at the, the demeanor of Peter. Now, I'm assuming Peter was younger, so I'm not sure why he painted Peter looking 50. But Peter doesn't like, he looks kind of like uh, conflicted. And the other guys are looking on and kind of like, God, what, how's he, what's he doing? How, you know, is he washing Peter's feet? I can't believe it. All right, go to the next slide because I like to uh, zoom in here. All right, you know, feet. I mean, he's washing somebody's feet. You know, I'll put... You know, I'll wash my own feet, and I'll wash my, the feet of my kids when they're three years old, but I'm not sure. I mean, my hands on dirty feet, and, and I'm the leader. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm God. And he's kind of got this firm grip on Peter. That's, again, we weren't there. We don't know. But I love the fact that he depicted Jesus' right arm kind of with a firm grip on Peter's feet. He was a firm servant. And he's washing Peter's feet. Peter probably reluctantly offering his foot one after the other to Jesus, kind of thinking, what in the world is going on here? And so here we go. Next slide. Finish the text. Jesus came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You're kidding me. 
Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, but unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not my feet. Just throw the whole bottle, the whole pan of water on me. Jesus says, a person who is bathed all over doesn't need a bath, doesn't need to wash, except for the feet to be entirely clean. All right, now, side note. Children, you can't tell your parents, I just need to wash my feet, that's all. I don't want to take a shower or bath. All right, just anyway. Except, but Jesus, he's making a larger point here. As you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who, Judas, would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. All right, next one. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again. Now, this, uh, I don't know how long it would take to wash 12 guys' feet. I don't know, five minutes, seven minutes. But you're one of the disciples, and you're sitting there, or actually reclining there, or whatever. I don't know if they, we don't know if they were talking, if they were just kind of, my guess is their mind was just racing. <laughs> what's going on? What's going on? What's he doing? What's he doing? This is crazy. What's he doing? What's he doing? But they're, they're soaking it all in because this is unprecedented from Jesus. I mean, yeah, Jesus did a lot of really kind of unprecedented break the script kind of things. But this is up there with the rest of them. Jesus says, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. So he didn't just say, hey, uh, teaching point here, you guys need to wash each other's feet. I mean, he, he shows them his teaching point. Then he speaks it, and they know exactly what he means. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Last part of this passage. Actually, there's two more. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now, he makes a statement. Slaves are not greater than their master. You and I are the disciples sitting there, and we're going to have a little bit of flashback moments of some conversations that we're really embarrassed about. Because not too much before this, they're fighting among themselves, and they're trying to figure out who's going to be the right-hand guy to Jesus. Hey, when you come into your kingdom, can I have the right-hand, left-hand? You know, I'm at the, can I be you know, chief of staff or whatever? And, and Jesus rebukes him. He's like, you guys don't understand. And another conversation... <laughs> Jesus actually asked these, hey, what were you talking about? Well, he knew they were arguing about who was the greatest. So are these 12 men following Jesus? Hey, who's there? I, I, I'm a better disciple than you are. And they're off, you know. And, and Jesus' reply to both these was things like, if you want to be the greatest, you got to be the least. If you want to find your life, you got to lose your life. you got to be a slave to all if you want to be a leader. And it's this kind of weird, but kind of cutting rebuke that Jesus gives them. So when Jesus is washing their feet and then he makes this statement, I'm sure some of these guys are sitting there kind of rewinding some of the silly conversations they've had and they're like, what were we thinking? Because Jesus is trying to get into their very, very hard heads, hard heads like your head and my head are hard heads, <laughs> that there's something different about what it means to follow Jesus and leadership and success is radically different because you lead from the bottom in a sense. So here's the phrase that we're just going to focus on today. You know, Jesus washing their feet. Now, now some, 
some religious groups, denominations, churches, whatever, some have actually made this into a practice like communion or baptism that they do. They do foot washing ceremonies and like that. There's not a sense of scripture that's a compelling thing for everybody to do. But some people have done this, and some of you may have participated in little ceremonies of foot washing. Um, I can remember the... F- I mean, I've had my feet washed twice in my life. I mean, by people washing my feet. I, I wash them every day, but I mean... And one of them was, I was in college. It was interesting. I was in college, and I was part of this kind of discipleship group. Mostly, there were, the whole group was like 25 male athletes. You know, and there was an older graduate student who was, every, once a week would meet with us to try to help us understand what it means to follow Jesus. One day he comes with this basin and, and uh, towel, and then he, he, says, he talks about foot washing. Of course, we're all kind of squirming. Kind of like, this is weird. I mean, guys, a group of guys. I mean, not that women can wash feet easier than men, but you know what I'm saying. We're in a group of guy athletes, and this guy says, we're going to have a foot washing. And we're just like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I, I get out of here. I'm not sure what I'm going to have. Guess whose feet he washed first? Mine. And as he's washing my feet, here's what he says. Matt, when I first met you, you said something to me that was really offensive to me. And I've been bearing a grudge against you ever since then. And God's told me I need to forgive you. And my act of forgiveness is to wash your feet. And I, uh, I mean, it, it's humbling, it's embarrassing, and it feels exposing. I mean, to have somebody wash your feet, I mean, especially when it was... Uh, and he washed my feet, and then I took it and washed somebody else. And it was just, but it feels really strange to have somebody wash your feet in some kind of a ceremonial giving kind of way. And, but Jesus says, but since I have washed your feet, I'm at the top of the rung, so to speak. He, he's not claiming that, but we tend to think of so, social ladder and rungs and, well, you know, slaves wash feet, but, you know, leaders and presidents and mayors and pastors don't wash feet, but these people wash feet, but they don't wash. I'm, and I'm the head of the home, my kid, you know, whatever. You ought to wash each other's feet, all right? Question, I got two questions. Question number one is this. Will you let Jesus wash your dirty feet this week? Now, he's not going to show up at your house. Uh, but think about this for a second. What was difficult for Peter, what was difficult for me when this one guy was washing my feet was I felt exposed. I felt a little uh, real. And for Jesus, and you notice Peter's objection was, no, 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 no. Jesus washing my feet is basically him saying, will you let me wash over those parts of you that are unseemly and dirty and dark? Because I can bring healing and refreshment and cleanliness to that part of who you are. See, because it was Peter's pride that was refusing and and kind of arguing about the foot washing. It wasn't protocol, it was pride. And so when Jesus comes to me and wants to wash my dirty feet this week, it may be because he wants me to be willing to be exposed to something about myself that he wants me to see that he says, will you let me wash that? You know, the fact that you, you, you respond this way in certain situations to your kids or to your spouse or your kind of greediness about money or this or that, can I come and wash that for you? Because it takes an awareness and an admission on your part, I think I need that. So maybe there's, there is perhaps something this week, and I'm hoping there will be and we'll pray that there will be, 
that Jesus comes to you and, and asks you that question about a certain issue in your life, would you let me wash that dirty part of you? Not, not beat it up, not attack it. I mean, Jesus didn't say, oh, Peter, your feet are so dirty. When was the last time you clipped your nails, man? He didn't say that. He just washed his feet. And we're so afraid that, oh, I haven't cleaned out that stuff out of my big toe for a long time. This is embarrassing. And, and that's, it's pride that keeps us from letting Jesus wash our feet. Because we want to make sure we look good before he does it. And Jesus, no, 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 I just want to clean them. Let me clip your nails. And, oh, that's really gross. But no, I want to do that. You don't have to present yourself perfect to me. Let me clean you. So that's question number one. For you. Will you let Jesus clean? I didn't add the word dirty till this morning because I thought I want your dirty feet this week. And let him bring something to your attention, all right? Back to the passage again. Actually, read this out loud with me. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You ought to wash each other's feet. All right, the first part, he's washed our feet. That's the question I've asked you. Are you willing to let Jesus do that in your life this week? Second thing, though, he says, you ought to wash each other's feet. Get a basin, get a towel, get your toenail clippers. Here's the question I want you to have for this week. Whose dirty feet will you wash this week? Who are you going to offer grace, refreshment, from you to them, serving them, even though there's things about them that are unseemly and not even good-looking to you. And they don't deserve it from you. Do you think, what do you think was going through Jesus' mind when he was washing Judas' feet, knowing full well what Judas was going to do? But he did it anyway. And, you know, he didn't take something and scratch his foot. He didn't jab it. He just washed them. And there will be times this week where you'll be faced with something that you can do or not do. Maybe something as simple of as, yeah, I've changed the baby's diaper four times in a row now. My wife hasn't done it. She's kind of being sleepy and lazy today. It's her turn. Maybe Jesus says, you know, will you, will you wash your wife's feet and just do that this time for her? <laughs> I've emptied the dishwasher six times. My brothers and sisters haven't done it at all this week. Hey, will you, will you wash their feet and empty the dishwasher? You know, you walk into... The, this is one of my weird... It's kind of a weird thing with me. I don't know why. But I walk into bathrooms, like public bathrooms, even church, especially church bathrooms. I get obsessed with picking up paper towel on the floor. Because I thought, who's... And it's weird, I know. And I won't do that in your house. So I'm not going to go through your medicine cabinet. Or like that. But, you know, you think about it. It's like, okay, there's a piece of paper towel on the floor. I didn't put it there. Who's going to clean it up? Well, the janitor will. Why don't you wash the janitor's feet that week and pick it up for him? They'll never know your name. Is it really their job? I mean, yeah, it's their job, but can you do it? Sure. You know, maybe there's something that's between you and your wife or between you and one of your kids or you and your neighbor, somebody you work with. And Jesus is going to bring up something to you this week and say, this is your foot washing moment. Take care of that for them. Bring refreshment to them cover them on this one. Serve them. And you're like, you know, but I'm their boss. I don't care. Jesus says, I don't care. But I'm the, I'm the dad here. Jesus says, I don't care. Jesus, people who are in these positions of authority don't do that for these people. And Jesus is like, really? They don't? Oh, yeah, maybe they do. Okay. But there will be something this week that look for something this week 
and let Jesus show you who that is, what that is, who that person is. All right? Finish with this. Philippians chapter 2. Most people think it's an early hymn of the early church where they talk about this aspect of who Jesus was. Greatest leader ever. Um, Jesus wasn't the greatest teacher. He was the greatest leader ever. All right? Greatest leader ever. And this is the, the mindset that we're told to embody. And if we want to be people who bring change and a whole new story to the city of Bloomington, Indiana, it starts with being these kind of people. It doesn't start with big events and loud gongs and, you know, dumping tracks all over the city. That can be necessary and good. It starts with this, though. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves, regardless of rank or position. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, here's where the hymn starts from ancient days, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't grab his title and rank, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name of every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. That's the kind of people we want to be, and we do it when we follow Jesus. Follow his way, follow his attitude, let him wash our feet, and we wash the dirty feet of other people. And we end every Sunday with communion, and we do that because it's our reminder. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He would have said this moments after he washed their feet. Hey, do this in remembrance of me. Here's the bread, here's the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. Bring a whole new meaning to the Passover meal. And uh, so as you take the bread and cup this morning, do this in remembrance of Jesus whether that picture on the wall is in your mind, whether this phrase is in your mind, as you take Jesus into you, you're basically saying, I will follow the way of Jesus, and I will pick up a towel this week. I will stick out my feet this week and let somebody wash, let him wash me, but I'm also going to wash the feet of others. Here's how we do it at Exodus. Uh, Jeremy will lead us in a few more songs. As, we're, as soon as we start singing, there'll be people up here in the aisles. Uh, they'll have bread. Uh, offer you the bread, you tear off a piece. Offer you the cup, you dip it in the cup, don't try to drink out of it. Uh, most people eat it right there, some take it back to their seat, whichever is fine with you, fine with us. Um, and there's no order, it's just come, come when you want. And anybody's welcome who wants to be this kind of person. All right? Anybody want, they're welcome who wants to be, uh, allow Jesus to wash their feet. All right? Uh, same time over on the side, there's a room that says prayer. People are over there to pray for you. About anything, could be about today, what we talked about, could be about something totally different. But you can go there before or after you take communion, and you're welcome to do that. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, are grateful, we're grateful, Jesus, that you uh, didn't just talk a good talk. You didn't just talk a good game. You did things like washing dirty feet and then allowing yourself to be crucified for us. And you showed us, your, your actions taught us more than your words. So we want to be those kind of people, but we also want to express our gratitude to you, Jesus, that you, uh, you're the guy, you're the one, you're the man, you're the God, you're all those things. And you're the one who shows us and helps us 
become the kind of people that we want to be, full of life, full of energy, full of the goodness of God pouring out for the world around us. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.